invite you to go to Galatians chapter 5. We've been camping out there for a few weeks now, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The psalmist says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Anybody, before we jump into this, we're talking about joy today, anybody just honest enough saying, you know what? I need, I, need, I need some more joy in my life. Come on, raise your hand right now. Raise it high. Come on, that's okay. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we leave this place today, not only will we have received, but that we will have received the tools we need, God, to stop the roller coaster Christianity life of constant ups and downs. But, Lord, that we would receive joy because, Lord, you are joy. And if we have you... Let us know and help us to understand that we have joy, that in your presence there is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would fill us, that you would touch us, that you would equip us, and that you would transform us in Jesus' name. Galatians 5. I know you've been standing all morning, but I want to encourage you, if we could, if we could stand as we read the word. I know we've read this a lot, but that's okay. Let's read it again today. Paul says, but I say, in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will not do what your sinful nature desires. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. What do you want to do? Well, remember, he's writing to Christians. He's not writing to not, he's writing to a church. You want to live for Jesus. Come on, amen. I want to do what God tells me to do. But let's be honest. Do we often find ourselves in the middle of situations, in the middle of saying things, thinking things, doing things, And we realize, well, the Lord doesn't want me to do that. So Paul's saying, when you walk by the Spirit, you are able to do the things you want to do and to not do the things you don't want to do. He says in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What does that mean? Does it mean that I don't have to worry about the do's and don'ts of Christianity? Yes and no. Because what Paul is saying, he says, if if God lives in you, then doing what God says and not doing what God says not to do, don't become a checklist to make you feel better because you're being a good person. It becomes a way of life. That's good. And when we when we boil our relationship with God down to I I did my quiet time today. I prayed today. I shared my faith today. I didn't kick a dog today. I didn't cuss at my wife today. I didn't talk bad about my boss behind his back today. When we boil it down to those do's and don'ts, that's not Christianity. That's not even religion. That's legalism. And Paul is saying when you're filled with the Spirit, when you walk by the Spirit, you're not under the law anymore. Because the things that God calls you to do, you do those naturally. He says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why won't they inherit the kingdom of God? Is it because they do bad stuff? No, that's not why they won't inherit the kingdom of God. It's because they haven't been saved and filled with the Spirit of God. Because if they were saved and filled with the Spirit of God, they wouldn't do these things. He says, but, everybody say but. But. The fruit or the evidence or the product of being filled with the Spirit of God is this. And can we read these together? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, against such things as these, there is no law. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, God, for the anointing that in this room and, and over me, God, that you would just help me to preach in a way, Lord, that comes easily, not because I want to get off the hook, but Father, because the kind of preaching that comes easy is the kind of preaching that is easy to receive because it's touched and blessed by you. Above all that, though, Lord, I ask that you would help us to hear directly from you, that we would be changed, that we would be transformed, and that we would leave this place full of joy, full of the Spirit, full of love, full of all of these fruits. And God, that we would also leave with the tools and the knowledge that we need, God, not to just get a a one and done feeling, but Lord, to receive anew every single day. In Jesus' name, in life I'll say, amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise this morning as we're being seated? Hey, you can just do it right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, if God's got it, I want it. Now turn to the neighbor you dissed and tell him that too. <laughs> if God's got it, I want it. I am in our community when I meet new people and ask, you know, inevitably ask the question, so what do you do? And let's just be honest. Let's just own this. I don't look like a pastor. Can we just, can we just, can we lean into that? I, I have one suit. It's my, I either use it for marrying or bearing. That's about it. <laughs> Lately, I haven't even used it for that. Most people are like, no, nah, we don't want you to wear that. To which I am very thankful. So when I tell them I'm a pastor, it's always like, really? And uh, <laughs> I say, yeah, yeah, I really am. At least I think so. And uh, what kind of church do you go to? What kind of church do you pastor? And I, you know, I tell them, I don't know. It's just church. And what, when they ask that question, what they're really asking is, what denomination are you? That's what they're meaning. And, uh, and I said, well, I said, uh, we're part of the assemblies of God. And there's a whole bunch of things I could say about that. It's like we have nothing, we're, we're for the assemblies. But we don't, that's not our identity, right? Jesus is our identity, right? Um, and that's not good or bad. That's just the truth. And like, you guys, uh, y'all one of those Pentecostal churches? 
and say, sort of, but not enough yet. That's what I usually think of. <laughs> Listen, until somebody starts running laps around this room, we ain't there yet. Just make sure you do it in the spirit. I was in a church one time, the pastor took off, and he took a lap around, and he got towards the front. It's a true story. I saw this with my own eyes. I was a college student at the university. I went to a church there, around there. And he took off, and as he came back around, he did a headfirst dive on the floor. And when he did, it had one of those wooden in remembrance of me tables in the front. Y'all know what I'm talking about? His hand hit that table and gashed his arm all the way up through there. And I was like, oh, he wasn't in the spirit. <laughs> that was a flesh right there. I shouldn't judge. I'm not judging that. I don't know that man's heart. I just know that I have seen people. Can I just, be, I'm not even preaching my, you better start my timer over. Uh, I've seen people uh, truly in the spirit of the Lord. Uh, I went to, I became a Christian in a church. They had, they had pews with, you know, the, with the, they did have padding on the pews, but they had pews for every chair. I saw my pastor, who was not a physically fit man, and I cannot emphasize that enough, take off and step up on, I'm not even, even going to try to imitate this, step up and get on these pews and put his foot on the back of that pew and walk on the backs of the pews all the way to the back of church to pray for somebody. That man was in the spirit. You can't. I've seen people hit the floor uh, under the influence, not of alcohol, but under the influence of the spirit. Now, this is weird to you. Listen, let's just be, it's all weird. Can let's just let's lean into the weird, right? We believe in a man who was killed and three days later rose from dead, then floated to heaven. It's all weird. Stop picking and choosing which weirds you want to go with. It's weird. Either go all in or go all out. Don't, I mean, sincerely, and I say that with love, don't ride the fence because you'll just be miserable. But I've seen people who slain in the... Now, I've seen people fake it. I have had preachers push me down. I'm like, I am not going down unless God takes me down. Right? Like, you ever done that? You know what I'm talking about? You push you and push you. And I'm like, I'll push back, brother. But uh, I've seen people hit the ground on concrete floors at Camp Jackson where I was looking for the blood from the back of their head. And there wasn't blood. There wasn't a knot. They were in the, in the spirit. The Lord was ministering them. They get up. They don't have a concussion. They're not cross-eyed. They're, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so um, I don't have any idea where I was going. My wife's holding her arms out like this. I don't know. I remember. I remember. I remember. I'm back. I got it. It's back. All that to say this, if God has it and it's for me, I want it. I want every experience. I want every encounter. I want to see and, and experience every gift. I want to see it and be a part of it all. I don't want to read through the Bible and go, mm, I don't know about that. I don't want to see a video and, 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 my, and my, my weird flag go up and say, oh, maybe it's for them, but it's not for me. I don't know. And, and listen, there are people who use and abuse things to either make a profit or to make a show. But at the end of the day, there is the real thing. And that's what I want. I want every bit of it. I want all of it. And I want to encourage you to want it. I want to encourage you to not be afraid of it. Because it's from your father. And if it's from your father, it's good. It's like, I, yeah, come on. We can give the Lord praise for that. 
Last night, we had steak for dinner. This is, there's a point for this, okay? We had steak. Um, but you know who, me and Kristen ate steak, and Magnolia ate steak, our, our youngest. But you know who didn't have steak? Our, our, our two older daughters, they didn't have steak. You know why they didn't have steak? Because they think it's gross. I mean, number one, that's more for us, right? And it's less money for groceries, right? But you know, but, but, but a lot of us, we look at the things of the Lord, and we may not necessarily say it's gross, but we'll think, ah, I'm not, that looks a little strange to me. And listen, the whole time that God is saying, listen, if you would just taste and see, Taste and see that the Lord is good. If my older daughters would take a bite of that, they would learn, I've been missing out for 11 years eating these processed chicken nuggets because that's all you're going to feed us. Oh, sorry, sorry, Emily. <laughs> all right, you guys ready to get into the message? Thank you. That, Josiah really did start my timer over. All right. Talking about the fruit of the Spirit, I promise I'm going to try to get on track here. If you're watching online, thanks for watching all that. Why are these called the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You've heard the phrase, speaking of steak, you are what you eat, right? Now, when we say you are what you eat, we don't mean that you become steak, Right? We don't mean like, oh, look, there's a little Debbie right there. <laughs> like, we don't mean that. Like, you are what you eat. If there was, I'd eat it too. You are what you eat. No, what we mean when we say you are what you eat is, what we're saying is that your health is reflective of your diet. Your health is reflective of your diet. And how many of you understand and know that if physically your health is reflective of your diet, then the same is true spiritually. Your, your spiritual health will be reflective of your diet. And, and just to give you a little, a little preaching tangent right here, if, if you are a Christian and you do not spend time in your Bible and in prayer regularly, you are a weak and malnourished Christian. And the reason why you struggle to pray, struggle to worship, struggle to feel the Lord when we get together on Sundays is because you walked in completely cold. You don't have what you need. And, 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 and listen, do me a favor. Do everyone else around you as a favor. Don't show up to Sunday just looking to receive. Show up on a Sunday looking to give what the Lord has given you all week. If you're waiting on Don or, or this worship team or me to do the work for you, then my friend, you are missing the whole point of church and gathering and worshiping. We shouldn't show up to this place just basically malnourished, anemic, weak, uh, frail Christians just seeking to see what we can get on a Sunday. But we should show up full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Word of God, full of passion, full of fire, ready to worship so that when there are people who are genuinely struggling and they get around us, they're not waiting on the Holy Spirit to hit because as soon as you showed up, the Holy Spirit hit, right? And so you are what you eat. You are, your, your health is reflective of your diet physically and spiritually. I'd like to say it like this for us as we look at the fruit. You are becoming what you are consistently filled with. You are becoming what you are consistently filled with. If you are consistently filled with Oh, I just, 
Things come to my mind, and I'm just, Lord, you sure? If you are consistently filled with reality TV, you're going to be the fakest among the fake. Because the only thing real about reality TV is the money it gets off people that it swindles thinking it's a good, decent entertainment. All right. <laughs> okay, okay. I just popped in. Should have let it pop out, but it popped out the wrong way. You are becoming what you are filled with. Are you filled with with media trash or are you filled with the word of God? Are you filled with gossip at the water cooler at your workplace or are you filled with love for those that you work with? Are you okay, let me just move on. All right. The more let me say it like this, the more you are filled with the spirit, the more you will reflect the nature of the spirit. So 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 this is this is what I mean. Love we talked about last week fruit of the spirit, right? Why is love a fruit of the Spirit? Love is a fruit of the Spirit because God, who is the Spirit, is loving. God is love. That's why when you receive the Lord, when you receive the Spirit, you becoming a person who is loving is a natural byproduct because you have received, essentially, love. Jesus is love incarnate. You have received the Spirit of God who is love. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Why is peace a fruit of the Spirit? Peace is a fruit of the Spirit because God is peaceful always. He's always at peace. God, God has never been surprised. He's never been caught off guard. God has never had an anxious moment. God's never been worried. God's never been scared. God's never been concerned about a future event because He's already, he's already there. He already holds it in His hand. Right? Uh, patience is a fruit of the Spirit because God, and praise God for this, especially with me, because God is always patient. God is patient. And so, because God is patient, when I receive the Spirit of God, then, then even though everything about my natural inclination is not patient, Lord, would you stop laughing at me over there? <laughs> I supernaturally am able to be patient. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit, because God is always faithful. Paul even says this to Timothy. He says, if we are unfaithful, this is 1 Timothy 2.13. He says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Why does he remain faithful? Stop reading, cheating, reading the board, reading the thing. No, he remains faithful because faithful is who he is. And for him to become unfaithful would him be in denying who he is, Right? He can't be unfaithful. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he is faithfulness incarnate. And so likewise, joy, and there's several others we could go down the whole list. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit because God, who is the Spirit, is full of joy. And, and so I go through that whole list talking about love and, and, and peace and patience and faithfulness. Because I don't think it's hard for us to understand that God is love, that God is faithful, that God is peace. But I do think for many Christians and many people in general, it might be hard to conceptualize that God is joy. And the reason why is because most Christians, probably some of you in this room, and many people, generally speaking, even outside of the faith, they think God is the opposite of joy. God is angry at me. God's mad at me. God's upset with me. God's disappointed at me. I mean, we do read it in, his, in the Word oftentimes. We see God, God's anger. We see God's kind of like his disappointment, so to speak. 
I read a book several years ago. I, I recommend it to everyone. Um, it was real popular for a few years, written by Francis Chan called Crazy Love. And there's a, there's a quote in that book that just ministered to me so much when I read it because believing that God is mad at me, God is angry with me, is a, has been something since I came to faith that I battled. And even to this day, like I still have to remind myself of his truth over my feelings. And he says in this quote, he says, most people think God's mad at them. The truth is God's not mad at you. God's mad for you. God's mad for you. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily clings to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He, go, he says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? It was you and it was me and it was humanity. It was all of those that through the sacrifice of the cross, through the enduring of the shame associated with the cross would be ushered into new life, have our past redeemed, have our sins forgiven, and all things be made new in us because of what Jesus did for us. And so the, the point of, of that passage of Scripture is to convince you and for you to understand that you are Jesus' joy. God's not mad at you. And God is full of joy. So how is God full of joy? And said this earlier, when often in Scripture we see a God who is sad or angry with the sin of his people or the sin of the world. <coughs> and the, the reason why we, we struggle with that is because we have a misunderstanding of what joy is. And we often get it confused with something else. Happiness. Joy and happiness are two different things. So if you'll indulge me for a few moments, let me, let me just elaborate on that thought that joy and happiness are not the same thing. First and foremost, happiness is a state of feeling. You feel happy. But joy is a state of being. I am joyful. I am filled with joy. God is always joyful because joy is who God is. But, but let's be honest, if you've read the scriptures, you know this, there are times when God does feel sad. There are times when God does feel angry. And there are times when God does feel happy. And the reason why God feels this way and the reason why we feel this way is because God created emotions and he created us in his likeness and his image. And because we've been created in his likeness and his image, we also have emotions, right? And so happiness isn't bad. And, and I want to I say that on the forefront because oftentimes when we talk about joy versus happiness, we actually criminalize happiness a lot of times. And I don't want to do that today, but I do want to, to elaborate on the differences and why they are different and why it's important that we know that they're different. And so happiness isn't bad. How many of you know anger is not bad either? 
Anger's not a bad emotion. And then this one might be a little more shocking. Sadness. It's not a bad emotion. The only time anger or sadness or even happiness for that matter become bad is when those emotions start to define who you are as a person. Right? That's, that's when they become bad. And I, got, and I got good news for you today. God is not a psychopath. And hopefully you're not either. Why do I I say that? Okay, so you may be full of joy. You may be filled with the Spirit. You may be producing the fruit of joy. But that doesn't mean that you smile when you hear about a tragedy. Right? Is that making sense? So, So when you hear about a tragedy, that makes you feel sadness. But that does not take away from your joy. I know, like... Is this, is, this, is this making sense, right? They're not opposed to one another because sadness is the way you feel. Joy is who you are. Happiness is the way you feel. Anger is the way you feel. But joy is who you are. So I can be sad because of a tragedy but still maintain my joy in the Lord, right? You may be joyful But when someone you love gets mistreated, you get angry, right? If someone you love or someone were to be mistreated and you had an opportunity to do something about it, I would hope that you wouldn't laugh about the mistreatment that just occurred because then you might actually be a psychopath, right? You might have some disconnect there between those things. No, no. If someone gets mistreated, you're going to be angry, just like it makes your heavenly father angry, just like it makes your heavenly father sad when tragedies occur. But those things do not rob you of the joy of the Lord unless you let them. Unless anger or sadness or some other kind of emotion, even happiness, comes to define you and not just be a thing that you feel temporarily for a moment, depending on the situation or the circumstances. You see, happiness, sadness, anger, they are good at the proper times in the proper doses as long as they don't define who you are. So, so happiness is a state of feeling. Joy is a state of being. Happiness happens to me, but joy happens in me. Happiness happens when good things happen to me that make me happy, right? Happiness happens to you when good things happen to you that make you happy. You get a raise. How many, how many of y'all be happy about that? If your boss said, hey, I'm going to give you a $5 an hour raise or give you a $25,000 a year raise, like, come on. In Jesus' name, we speak it into existence, right? Yeah. You receive that, Lord. Come on. You get Pentecostal now all of a sudden. I feel the Spirit of God in this place preaching. Yeah. You're going to run the aisles now. Jericho March. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. If you, if you get a raise, that's going to make you happy. If you lose 10 pounds, <laughs> praise God, get on the scale and lose 10 pounds. I'm like, unless you're not trying to lose weight, then you might want to gain 10 pounds. I don't know. I'm still in the lose category, okay? Um, someone gives you a compliment. It's going to make you happy. It's going to make you feel good. Nothing 
bad about those things, right? There's nothing wrong with feeling happy because something good happens to you. It's just different than joy. It's, it's not the same thing because happiness is what happens to me. Joy is what happens in me because of what Jesus has done for me. Because of Jesus, I've been forgiven. Because of Jesus, my past has been redeemed. Because of Jesus, heaven is my home. Because of Jesus, all things have been made new in Christ Jesus. Come on, can we give the Lord praise for that? <coughs> yeah. Joy is what Jesus has done for me. Joy is what happens in me. Happiness is what happens to me. You know, I might be happy that the Lord blessed me with a raise or helping me lose 10 pounds or whatever it might be. But my joy is rooted in the fact that he calls me his own. Amen. Amen. So, so happiness, also with that in mind, happiness, it comes and it goes. But joy comes and it stays. Happiness comes and goes, but joy comes and it stays. Happiness comes and go because circumstances change, right? One day you get the compliment. The next day you find out they've been talking bad about you behind their back, right? Come on, you ever been there before? I can't believe they said that just the other day. They said this, right? Uh, you get happy because you get a raise, you get sad because you get called into the boss's office and say, I'm sorry to tell you this, but i got to let you go. Anybody ever been there before? Right? Yeah, but, and why, why does that happen? It's because circumstances change, right? It's because happiness comes and it goes. One day, you're living the dream. You can wear a size whatever in the waist. I'm not even going to call out sizes because that's how I get in trouble. Uh, you, you got X amount of money in your bank account. Your, your health is good. Life is good. But man, how many of you have been around long enough to know that one moment, one phone call, one doctor's report, one call from the boss, one, one thing can change all of those situations to the negative, right? And, and I know, like, I know that as Christians, we believe, and, we, and it's true, that God blesses us and God helps us. But how many of you are mature enough in the Lord to understand that just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean that things will always go your way? I mean, in fact, Jesus makes us a promise. In John 16, 33, I love the promises of God. There's books written about the promises of God. Well, one of the promises of God is not that great. Jesus says to his disciples, that includes you and I, in this world, you will have trouble. Things won't go your way. Bosses won't treat you right. Clothes will shrink in the dryer. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. I told my wife the other day, it's jeans. Something's wrong with her clothes. That's a true story, isn't it? It's a true story. Yeah. Calories do count, even if they are at church potlucks, okay? Things won't always go your way. Family members won't always treat you correctly. Bosses and jobs won't always treat you correctly. Sometimes your problems are going to be a result of your own mistakes. Sometimes your problems are going to be the result of someone else's mistakes. And sometimes your problems are just going to exist because we live in an imperfect world. Because this isn't my home. Heaven is my home, right? And, and, and so, I mean, the verse goes on. He says, in this world you will have trials and troubles and tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world, right? Praise God for that. Yeah, come on, can we praise the Lord again for that? 
If you're following Jesus, it won't always be easy. It won't always be good. Sometimes it will be hard. Sometimes it will be difficult. But your circumstances are not the source of your joy. Joy lasts because Jesus never changes. And just because happiness can fluctuate doesn't mean that joy has to fluctuate. Paul writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4.4, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And, and it's not like Paul is living the dream when he writes this. I mean, Paul, even though he would have said he was blessed and highly favored, from an outsider's perspective, he was cursed and not favored at all. He had gone to the city or gone to Rome so he could preach the gospel only to arrive and be locked up in prison, chained to a guard. When he wanted to preach, all he could do was pick up a pen and write, you know, Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians and Philemon or Philemon, however you choose to pronounce it. Right? That's all he could do. And so from Paul's perspective, I can't help but wonder if there was that voice in his mind saying, Paul, all your dreams are over. All your hopes are over. There's no way, apart from divine revelation that God gave him that we are unaware of in scriptures, that Paul could have ever imagined that 2,000 years later, the church would still be benefiting all over the world for the letters that he wrote. That had he had the opportunity to preach, he wouldn't have had the time to write these letters, right? But he says, rejoice in the Lord. And I appreciate that. It's like, it's like, I want to hear from the person who's been through it. I, I don't want the guy who has just read the books and can teach the information. I want to hear from the guy who's been through the ringer, right? I want to hear from the guy who knows that kind of pain. I don't want to hear about the guy from the guy who's read about it. I want to hear from the guy who's been through it. And if anybody has been through it, Paul's been through it. Paul has been abandoned. Paul has been hurt. Paul has been, has been persecuted. Paul has been physically beaten. Paul has been left to die. Paul has seen people he loved get killed. Paul has had people who he loved uh, who, who turned their back on him. Paul has been through it. And so when he writes this sentence, I want you to hear the weight of it. When he says rejoice in the Lord always, he doesn't write it as a man who's living on the mountaintop. He writes it as a man who is literally living in the dungeons, living in the prison, chained up to a Roman guard. He writes it as a man who has every reason to complain, every reason to whine, every reason to turn his own back on God. I, it amazes me that Paul could have so easily been like, God, I have done everything you've asked me to do. You ever been there before? God, I'm doing what you said do. Why does this bad thing keep happening? You're in good company. You're in great company. The greatest evangelist to ever live was in that same spot. So that's why when he says rejoice in the Lord always, it carries the weight that it does. And there, there's nothing you can say that can excuse you from that, and I'll say this, command. There's a, there's a period at the end of that sentence, not a question mark, not a dot, dot, dot. Rejoice in the Lord. And, the reason, and you can do it. Whatever you're walking through right now, whatever you walk through in the future, you can do it. Because you're rejoicing, not in circumstances, you're rejoicing not in situations. You're rejoicing not in situ uh, uh, seasons. You're rejoicing in who? Jesus. 
The Lord, yeah. The Lord Jesus. And how often do you do it? Always. Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. My pastor used to say, when the Bible says always, you know what that means? It means always. All the time. Always. Because joy isn't rooted in those seasons. It's not rooted in those circumstances and situations. It's rooted in Jesus. Come on. I know I've asked you this a few times, but one more time. Can we just thank the Lord for Jesus? Amen. My last comparison here. People can make me happy, but only Jesus can give me joy. Because it stands to reason if people can make you happy, they can also make you not happy. Yeah, sad, angry, sad, whatever. Uh, but Jesus gives you joy because Jesus is joy. And he has promised us in his word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Another uh, letter of Paul actually is called Romans. He wrote it to the church at Rome many years before he wrote the letter of Philippians from Rome to the Philippians. Does that make sense? I used to believe that the names of the letters were, is where he was. Uh, but no, that's where he was writing to. He was writing to the Romans uh, many years before. He actually, if you'll let me teach you a little bit about the Bible, he writes the entire letter of Romans to the church at Rome, essentially saying, I want to come to Rome. Will you please help me get to Rome? That's the whole purpose of Romans. And here we have it today as the most influential document in all of Western history. Pretty big deal. Okay. All right. Y'all aren't, you, you don't think it's the big deal as I do. I think it's a big deal. It just shows you that God uses everything, right? No matter what your motivation is, the Lord can use it. He says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. That's beautiful, right? Our friendship with God restored while we were still his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. He says in verse 11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You guys remember the Israel Houghton song, I am a friend of God? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Yeah. I sound like I can remember right now, truthfully. There's a comedian several years ago. He came out with a, a, a spoof on that. Many of you have probably heard it. He said uh, he walked into church one day and they were singing that song and he'd never heard it before. And he got to sing it and he thought, that's a, it's a weird song, but okay, it's, it's got a catchy tune. He says, it took me a while to realize what they were actually singing. He says, I heard, when I walked in, I heard them singing, I am afraid of God. <laughs> I am afraid of God. He calls me Fred. <laughs> it's funny. It is funny. But many of us don't have joy. Because instead of realizing that the work of Jesus has made us a friend of God, we're still living in the fear of God. And I don't mean the holy reverential fear. I mean the fear of God being disappointed in us. The fear of God being mad at us. The fear of God judging us because we're not good enough no matter how hard we try. And I want to free you from that today. I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Not the word of the Lord, but the word of the Lord. God, through his son, Jesus, has made you a friend of God. And that, my friend, above all others, is a reason to rejoice. One more time. Come on. 
Happiness, though, isn't bad, right? It's just not everything. The pursuit of happiness is listed in the Declaration of Independence as an unalienable right. Nobody, according to the writers of the Declaration, have the right to take it away. But the problem with that pursuit, and I don't have any problem with the wording of the Declaration of Independence, but, but from our perspectives as individuals, the problem with the pursuit of happiness is that once you catch it, you can't keep it. Once you get it, you have to keep chasing it. It becomes an endless cycle of trying to find something in this world to give you happiness, to give you purpose, to give you meaning. Because there's always a bigger house. There's always a better paying job. There's always, there's always a family with better behaved children, right? Can't you be more like them? Yeah. There's, there's always a family that seems to have it put together put together better than you do. There's always a bigger church. There's always a nicer car. There's always someone with a boat, any boat, just a boat in general. Any will do, right? There's always somebody with something that you can look at and say, I wish I had what they had. And if I had what they had, then I'd be happy. If I had the money they had, I'd be happy. If I had the relationship they had, I'd be happy. If I had the stuff they had, I'd be happy. If I had my life put together like they do, I'd be happy. If I had the body they had, I'd be happy. If I could be six foot tall like them, I'd be happy. Getting a little too revealing, I guess. If I just didn't have to look up to my wife, I'd be happy. Y'all come down. I got a sermon to preach here. Let me clarify something, though. In, in many of those cases, wanting something, you know, you know I want to save money to buy a better home. That's not a bad thing, right? Working hard to get a raise or to get another job, that's not a bad thing. It only becomes bad when it becomes something that defines you. And you start putting the kind of weight on it that only Jesus can stand. Right? That's when it gets bad. That's when it becomes destructive. And, and there are so many, probably even in this room today, who are living sad, depressed, joyless, and weak lives because they are pursuing a happy only to realize that once they catch it, they got to keep chasing something else. The Lord gave me this thought several weeks ago when I was praying about this particular message. And I want to share it with you as I get ready to close this. I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. I, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm a pastor. Now, I know in many years gone by, pastors were often looked to as counselors, but the truth is most aren't counselors aren't qualified to be counselors. I took one counseling class in college and psychology, so if you want to give it a shot, we'll go for it. But 
I'll do more harm than good. Let's just be real about it. The main thing I learned in my counseling class was to refer, refer, refer. So I say everything I'm about to say with that disclaimer. I want you to understand that's where I'm coming. I'm coming to you as a pastor, not a therapist, not a person who's done in-depth studies on this thing. But from what I can read, from what I can understand, I don't think depression is sadness. Sadness is a feeling that you feel, but when someone is depressed, it becomes defining of their whole being. In a little bit of reading, I, I know that depression can be caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. But as you read that, it's interesting to discover that most people do not know which comes first, the feelings of depression or the imbalance, chemical imbalance that can be a product of depression. We don't know if one is causative or, or how that works. Medication, praise God for medicine. Praise, praise God for therapists and counselors. Praise God for that. Praise God for men and women, whether they follow Jesus or not, who go into that field, who want to help people. As a person who, in my own life, have struggled on and off with depression since I was a young child, I have so much respect and thankfulness for people in that field. And, and so I, I, I approach this subject with sincere concern and care for those of you in this room, those of you watching online who fight that battle. And I don't think as often has been said in the church before that just praying more or just having more faith is the solution. I do think that prayer and faith and the work of God can be part of a solution. And that's kind of where I want to dwell for just a few moments, if you will allow me. Because I do believe that depression, often if not always, is spiritual to some degree. Are we good? And our self-medicating remedies for depression have been proven over and over again to not work. But it's so interesting how when you are in the midst of that battle, it is impossible to know what, what is real and what's not real. Does that make sense? And so, so if you're struggling with depression, you might find yourself trying to buy stuff to, to make you happy, hoping that that new toy or that new thing will replace the depression that you feel, right? The, the trap of that is often though it leads to a repetitive cycle of continuing to buy stuff, hoping that this next toy, that this next purchase will, will, will cure my depression. And what it usually winds up doing is causing you to fall into horrible debt, which gives you another reason to be depressed and suffer. Uh, just like many people will turn to sex to try to satisfy a depressed state, hoping that this new relationship will replace the depression, that, that it will give me some sort of fulfillment. Really, where most of the time, though, it just leads to a place of abandonment and pain. Uh, you, you might eat food. Man, can, I mean, like, I know that feeling, right? To try to replace this feeling. You know, there's this empty void in my life. If I can just feel it with Swiss cake rolls, right? 
I'm kind of being funny, but I'm kind of being serious at the same time, right? Because when you feel when you feel depressed, any anything to just give you a moment of pleasure, you want to reach for it and take it. And then you start that cycle though of like, I don't feel good, I feel sad, I feel depressed, so I'm gonna go to this thing, I'm gonna put it in my body, it's gonna make me feel good for a little bit. And then and then I'm gonna want more of it. And then to only find yourself physically unhealthy, and then then you're depressed about that. Am I being too real? You you so well, you know, I, I'm so depressed, I'm so, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna drink. It won't make depression go away, but it will at least numb it for a little while. I'm going to take drugs, non-prescription from an authorized medical professional drugs of some sort. Because, you know, if I can't get rid of the depression, then I can just maybe forget about it for a while. And there's all kinds of other things that we do to self-medicate. And this is what I feel like the Lord gave me. Maybe it's for someone in the room today. And I don't believe depression can be re- replaced. You can't replace it with a new toy. You can't replace it with a new relationship. You can't replace it with food or drink or drugs or whatever. I don't think depression can be replaced, but I do believe in Jesus' name that depression can be displaced. I open this service, open this sermon by reading or quoting Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. You see, displacement is the removal of something or someone by something or someone else which takes its place. When I think of displacement, you know, the first thought that comes to my mind is you fill a bathtub up with water, right? And if it's full, you know, that's why they got the little safety valves on there that, you know, I'm talking about the thing that my wife put tape over so she can get the tub even fuller, right? <laughs> Green masking tape in our bathtub. If you come in our house, you can see it. I'll show you. But you know, you fill it all the way up. If you fill it all the way up, Kristen, and get in it, <laughs> your body will displace water over the sides. I believe. Now listen, this isn't a just pray more. This isn't a just have more faith. But because there is such a strong spiritual element to depression, I truly believe with all my heart because in his presence there is fullness of joy that as the Holy Spirit makes his home in your heart, the one who is always joyful, the one who's not mad at you, but the one who is mad for you, that depression will have no choice but to be forced out of your life as the joy of the Lord sets himself and makes his home in your heart, that it will be forced out in every way, shape, form, and fashion. So let me invite you for a moment to all across the room, and please, everyone do this. I don't want anyone looking around today. Bow your heads and close your eyes. 
first and foremost, if, if you would just say, Pastor, my joy is weak. And because my joy is weak, I don't have any strength because joy in the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I need the Lord to give me his joy that's not rooted in seasons or circumstance, but it's rooted in who he is. If that's you, if that's your prayer, would you just lift your hand high in the air so I can pray for you? Awesome. Lord, I pray for each and every single one of these men and women that in the name of Jesus, that you would bless them, that you would fill them with joy unspeakable, joy that is sourced in such a way from heaven that they can't even describe it or explain it. Joy that is rooted not in changing circumstances, but God, joy that is rooted in you, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you can put your hands down. Again, eyes closed, no one looking around. One more. If you are fighting depression today, if you are fighting those feelings of self-loathing, self-hatred, if that voice inside your head has whispered to you, telling you it would just be better if you ended it all. First of all, hear me, that's not true. Second of all, if your prayer today would be, Lord, fill me with the fullness of joy, that depression would have no choice but to be displaced. That's not a replacement for counseling. It's not a replacement for medication. But God, it's depression is spiritual, and I need you. If that's your heart, if that's your prayer, would you lift your hand high in the air where you are so I can pray for you? that you would remind them that you are the joy, that, that they are the joy that was set before you, that caused you to endure the cross, despising the shame. God, that you would remind them that they are loved by God, that they are loved by their family, that they are loved by their friends, that they are loved by this church, but most of all, that they are loved by you, that you are not mad, at them, but God, you were mad for them. And God, if there, if there needs to be counseling, God, give them the, the motivation to move forward in that. If there needs to be a doctor visit, Lord, help them to move forward with that. But Lord, I pray that today, starting in this moment, God, that you would begin filling them with the fullness of your joy, that they would know that they know that they know, God, that they have received every good and perfect gift from you, and that their life would be changed forever in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to do this a little different than I did first service. And, and I understand that those were two very heavy things, especially the second one. But if you raised your hand for either one 
of those altar calls. I just want to ask you, right where you are seated, to just stand. I know it takes some bravery, but to just stand. And if you can't stand, you would raise your hand again. I know. I know it's scary. I know. I know it. I know it. But there is no shame. There is no shame. There is no shame today. Shame has to go. Shame has to leave. What I want to ask us to do, church family, is for those who were standing and this lady had lifted her hand as well, if you would, as men and women of God who have received the Holy Spirit, would you step out of your seats and find someone and reverently and lovingly lay your hands on them and begin to pray for them like you would want someone to pray for you if you were in their place. And Don's going to lead us in a song and we're going to go to the Lord and we're going to pray and believe God for freedom from depression, for joy overflowing, 